Well, hello everybody and a very happy New Year's Eve to you all. I'm Coach Kizzy Harris and I'm delighted to have you tuned in to listen to this, the second in my series of shows called Making a Difference. Now, as we are on the cusp of a new year, I'm going to be speaking to three people who have bitten the bullet and created new opportunities for themselves and their families. First up, I have Giles, whose faith stirred him up to seek more purpose in his work life. Then I'm going to be speaking to Claire, who, when faced with redundancy, used it as a springboard for setting up her own business. And finally, we will be crossing over to New Zealand to speak to Joy, who emigrated there from the UK to seek and create an adventure for her family. Each of my guests will be sharing their own personal stories and offering their top tips if you too are yearning to do something similar. So, without any further ado, let me introduce my first guest today, Giles Wadsworth. Giles is 49 years old, he's been married for 23 years to Rachel and they've got three girls. Giles studied Mandarin with Japanese at Edinburgh University and then launched a highly successful corporate career in marketing and he worked with the likes of the business giants such as GlaxoSmithKline, Guinness and Coca-Cola. He lists his hobbies as fly fishing, walking, skiing, worship leading, drumming and five-a-side football. And he's also the governor at a local primary school. Now, despite his successful career in marketing, Giles has since retrained and is now a primary school teacher himself. Giles, hello and a very happy new year to you. Hi, Kizzy. Really happy new year to you as well. So what I'd like to know is, can you still remember how to say Happy New Year in either Mandarin or Japanese? Well, uh, yes, you can say it in, in Cantonese, which is Gong Hei Fat Choi, which is uh, <laughs> sort of uh, quite well known um, uh, sort of expression in Cantonese uh, or in Mandarin, which Xin Yan Kuala, which is um, exactly the same um, Chinese characters, but, um, but two di- different dialects. So, uh, yeah. Um, I sort of I remember a little bit of it. I occasionally speak to uh, Chinese students uh, at the school that I work in now, um, which uh, amuses them somewhat. So, Giles, you've clearly had a very successful corporate career, but like many others that I come across, it sounds as though you reached a point where you questioned whether or not this was still something that you wanted to continue to pursue. So perhaps you could outline for us where you were and what you were doing at the point that you started to think about a move from the corporate world. Well, it, it's it's difficult to know exactly when it started, because uh, in the early days uh, of working in marketing, it, it's a very glamorous thing to do, uh, particularly in international marketing. When I was a young person um, flying around the world uh, and seeing a lot of these different places and uh, you know handling large amounts uh, of money, um, from the, the, the corporate uh, world and spending it on interesting advertising and different things like that was very glamorous and exciting. And then um, having got married and with a young family, um, the travel became less exciting. Um, and waking up on a, a Sunday and thinking, oh, goodness, I've got to get on an airplane 
um, so that I'm in place for a Monday morning breakfast meeting uh, in Shanghai, for example, um, just started to wear a bit thin. Um, and at the same sort of time, um, you know, I'd been a Christian for many years and um, I think I was feeling along the lines of at some stage I need to, to put something back in. Um, rather than uh, just make uh, money for, for shareholders of a company like Coca-Cola. And, you know, while I, I think uh, there should be Christians in industry, um, and it, it's really important to have Christians in industry, particularly in, in senior positions, uh, for me, I felt that actually um, my time in industry was, going, was coming towards a close and that, um, that, that I had a strong desire to do something a bit more uh, worthwhile. Uh, and that coincided really with a, a sort of slight change in, in family circumstances uh, when um, uh, we uh, lost a, a child um, out in Bangkok uh, where we were living. And it, it just came home to us a bit that, um, that, that actually you know, work uh, and making money and all those kind of things um, in, the, in the corporate world wasn't everything. Uh, and there was perhaps more to, to life than that. And so... We started to reevaluate, you know, really what we wanted uh, from from my career and and what I wanted to do, and then you then start on this really interesting kind of dilemma of well, what what can I do, um, or what should I do? Well, does that make any sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, what kind of things did you um, do to sort of try and look at what kind of options you had available? Well, again, it was really interesting. I have a very good friend who was uh, the HR director at World Vision. Um, it's a well-known Christian uh, charity. And um, he was in Bangkok with me at the time. And and he and I sat down and we explored this together. And uh, and he gave me this really wise advice. I still see him regularly. We go and watch Chelsea together, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, which is not so good at the moment. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, you know, and I, we were just talking about it the other day when when we last met and I reminded him and he sat me down. And he said, you know, really, you, you have the capability to do almost anything that you really want to do. Uh, so you've just got to think about what you really want to do, because, um, you know, if you're if you're reasonably bright and reasonably well educated and you're prepared to go back and retrain, um, you can you can do anything that you want to. And of course, um, we're in an era now where um, having one career for the whole of your life is very unusual. And so as we uh, sort of move forwards, most people will have at least two, sometimes three uh, different careers through uh, their, their sort of working lifespan. Um, and so when he, he said that to me, I then started to think, well, should I go into to marketing for a charity? Um, should I use what I'm, I'm doing, um, you know, currently to, to do something a bit different? And then um, I happened to be uh, leading a, a service at the um, um, the Anglican Church, the, the only sort of really um, Anglican or sort of main Protestant church in Bangkok. At the time, it was a family service. And a lady bounced up to me at the end of the service and she said, uh, you must be a teacher, you're a primary school teacher. And I said, well, I'm not actually. I'm the marketing director for Coca-Cola. And she said, well, you know, you really ought to think about it. And uh, that was really it was a, a very strange thing, because uh, at that time, my wife, uh, Rachel, was also a teacher. And um, it was it was something that I was beginning to think about, um, whether I should perhaps go into the ministry or whether I should do something in teaching or in lecturing or um, or something like that. And um, I then started to seriously consider primary school teaching. Um, but partly because of, of what she said. 
Now, you've touched already on uh, something that I come across a lot in coaching where, you know, there's something about this working in big business, but that also means things like big opportunities, big salaries, big rewards. And even though some people reach a point where they question if this is still something that they want to stay doing and having, they can find it quite hard to let go of that kind of lifestyle. And I'm wondering, as you contemplated your own career and lifestyle change, what sort of emotions or thoughts it brought about for you? Well, again, uh, this is this is a really, you know, interesting and difficult part of it all because um, when when you found something that you think that you might want to do, so uh, I I explored the um, the opportunity of uh, of being a primary school teacher, and understood that um, that there are very few men in primary school teaching, and so I flew back from Bangkok. I um, interviewed at uh, a teacher training college, and uh, was offered the opportunity to um, to retrain. And then, of course, I then had to resign from my job. And that's when the the push really comes to shove. Um, You then got to actually walk into your boss's office and uh, resign from a very well-paid job to take up a very poorly paid job. And um, and this is where, you know, it really comes home. And when I when I actually did it and then spoke to some of my colleagues, their first reaction was, you know, fantastic, good for you, mate. You know, I've always wanted to do that as well. And, you know, as I left, one or two of them were saying, you know, I really admire you for what you're doing. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, how, you know, how does it work? And I said, you know, it's just a question of money, really. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you've just got to work out that you potentially are going to earn an awful lot less and be happy and comfortable with that. Um, and obviously, you know, going into it with your eyes open and realizing uh, that you still have a family to feed, that um, you know, still got to have a, a roof over your head, but that you don't have to live in the, the lifestyle that you have lived in up until now in order to be happy and fulfilled at work. Um, it, uh, it, you know, it's great to have that kind of income, but it, it's not absolutely necessary. And so I think um, I went, I started work as a primary school uh, teacher on about a fifth of my income uh, that I had before then. And so things had to change because of that. Um, But still, um, you know, we we sort of made it work, really. And um, and the emotions, I think, for for me were, can I still provide for my family um, in in an adequate way? Um, by earning very much less than than I did previously, and once I'd got my head around that and realised it was was possible that you know big foreign holidays to to far flung places were were not going to be a regular thing any longer, um, then then it, it became so much easier, and um, you know I haven't I haven't regretted it at all really. So in terms of the steps that you um, had to make for that transition from one lifestyle to another what kind of things were included in that uh, lots of conversations with different people so uh, first of all um my my wife rachel um was very clear that she thought it would be a very bad idea if i went into ministry uh, so if i became a vicar for example and so that was something that i was thinking about but because she was um really uh, really against it i i ruled it out 
uh, almost straight away. And therefore, it had to be something that that she could see me doing and that um, I could see myself doing and that um, together we would in, enjoy and it would work sort of hand in hand. Now, the fact that she was already um, a secondary school teacher at that time meant that our lifestyles would, would coincide very much more than they did previously. Um, and therefore, it could work together. Um, I then spoke to lots of different people about it and said, you know, uh, what do you think? Um, is it is it the sort of thing that I could do? And again, people um, expressed some surprise, but also, you know, gratifyingly, people said, well, yes, you know, we've seen you um, at church and working with uh, the youth and, and the children's work and things like that. And therefore, we think it's something that you could do. Um, and from then, it's a a case of finding um, for me, it was a case of finding somewhere to, to train um, that that would accept me getting some work experience um, so that I could then speak reasonably knowledgeably at interview um, and then get on a course, um, finding a way of uh, financing ourselves while um, was going back at the, back to university for a year. Um, and so it meant, you know, one of us had to go out and work at the same time. Um, and then, you know, once you've then got the training under your belt, um, then you know, actually getting out and finding a job. And that was an interesting time as well, because, you know, once I'd been retrained um, and I really enjoyed my training, going back to university was fantastic. And I really enjoyed that. Then actually getting a job um, w was a different matter altogether. And while primary schools are, are begging for uh, men uh, in particular, um, uh, they they were, I think, understandably wary of a 35-year-old ex-marketing director. Um, and so I didn't find it as easy to get a job immediately as I thought it, I would do. And what impact, if any, did that have on you? Yeah, I thought, you know, I think this... Uh, it's a difficult thing because you you do it all for the right reasons. You think, yes, uh, you know, God's calling me into um, uh, in, into work at for for less reward or less financial reward, uh, but for much more gain in terms of uh, what I can do for for young people. Um, and then uh, I've got myself trained. I've done really well at, at uh, in my course, and um, and that's really uh, you know I, I'm I'm now qualified. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the primary schools that I'm applying to don't want me. And uh, it, it's a kind of, you know, a bit of a knock to one's confidence. You think, you know, goodness, you're crying out for men. So so why are you hiring, you know, 22 year old girls straight out of uh, out of college? Um, uh, you know, and why are you not interviewing me um, when you haven't got a male on your staff at all? And that I found that quite difficult, actually, um, in, in the first sort of few months of um uh, of, of trying to find a job and then really interestingly and my my experience was was such that I really felt that uh, that God had a hand in the way I was appointed because I uh, I met somebody who I'd known for a long time who was a headmaster at a senior school um, he had a, a a junior school attached to that senior school and he said um, that there there were jobs um, going for the September I applied uh, and got a job. It was within an independent school um, and in an area that I really had never intended to work. I was currently training uh, or currently working at the, the toughest state primary school in, in the town at that stage, where just keeping the children safe was one of our major priorities um, and then educating them uh, as best we could. 
And um, I, I had to take the job at the independent school because I needed a job for September. And then I went back to school and literally to this uh, state school where I was working. And literally the following day, the headmistress called me in and offered me a, a job there. And I said to her, I'm really sorry, but I've just taken, I've just accepted a job at an independent school. And she was furious with me. She said, why on earth would you do that? Um, because, you know, we could have given you a job here and they were desperate for people like you here. And I had to say to her, look, I, I needed a job. And so I took the one um, that, that I was offered first because there was no indication that I was going to get a job from you. And, you know, if I look back on it, I, I feel very much God's hand in that. Had he wanted it to be the other way around, she would have offered me the job the day before. And, uh, you know, life might have been different. So despite, you know, feeling a bit kind of down at times in the application process, I really think that that, um, that that God's hand was on me as I applied for different places and he put me into the school that he wanted me in. And there's something very much in, in coaching where we talk about sort of just being open to opportunities that uh, that come along. And it, it's interesting that you've talked about, um, you know, this, this independent school uh, hadn't really been something that you'd even considered. And yet actually when it came along, um, it was, you know, a really, really good, uh, good fit for you. So, Giles, looking back, um, was this the right decision for you to move out of the corporate world and into teaching? Well, I think for, for me, um, definitely. I, I don't have any regrets about it at all. And I think, um, you know, the, there, there's so many things that, about it that I really enjoy. And there are there are times when I do um, meet up with some of my old colleagues or other um, men and, uh, and women in industry, and I talk to them in a, in a completely different way, almost you know in a business type way. And I think, oh yes, I, I kind of remember that. And there's a bit of me that that almost yearns for it in some ways. Um, but at the same time, um, every day that I go to school is, is totally different. Um, the impact that one has on, on young people is absolutely incredible. And the opportunity you know, to, to give them an education that, that many of them you know, desperately need um, and, and some sort of pointers and guidance really along the way in terms of, uh, of behavior and of being the person that, that they really can be is, is a real privilege. Um, you know, added to the fact that I spent a lot of time outdoors um, uh, on a, on the um, the playing fields, um, uh, coaching sport and things like that in a way that I'd never done before. Um, having sat in an office really for for most of my uh, my earlier career, um, I, I don't have any regrets at all. Um, and you know, many people question when when i speak to them about it they say you know uh, even my current colleagues uh, ask me they they say you know do you yearn for what you used to do at all and i can quite truthfully say not at all um, but i had a great time while i did it absolutely and i'm sure all of those skills that you um were able to hone through your corporate career you're able to uh, utilize in some way shape or form in your uh, teaching too 
I think, uh, again, if you've got these things that you've done and um, they are a part of you and, and part of your skill set, inevitably there will be opportunities that come along that you can you can use them in. So, for example, um, while I'm not um, a finance director or anything like that at my current school, I'm just a, a year four primary school teacher. I do sit on uh, the governing body for the um, uh, my local state school as their, um, uh, their, their head of their, their, the chair and their finance committee. So it's something that I can put into a, a different organisation uh, at the same time as, as doing what, what I do uh, for the school. Wonderful. Now, Gerald, if you knew back then what you know now, what, if anything, would you do differently? Oh, I, I don't really know. I think that's a, that's a really good question. I think that um, yeah, when you make these decisions, you've really got to go with it. Um, I could have decided to go into a different area. I had opportunities to go into, uh, into charity marketing or I could have gone into full time ministry. Um, I think that, um, you know, um, you, you've, got to, you've got to go with it, um, make the decision and really go for it uh, and, and hope that uh, people will be supporting you. As you do that, I don't think personally I would do anything different, uh, differently at all. Um, and I'm just kind of constantly amazed at how at how blessed I've been through the whole experience. Um, I think really interestingly is some of the attitudes of, of people around me who wondered whether it would work or not. Um, you know, particularly my father, who had um, had a, a career in the industry and isn't a Christian, and uh, and he thought I was totally nuts. <laughs> and I think what, what's really gratifying some, uh, now is it's a 10, 15 years on, is him seeing how it's worked out and him almost being proud of uh, uh, of what I've done as well, uh, even though he thought I was completely crazy at the time. That's a parent's privilege. <laughs> it is, yeah, totally. I'm sure we'll be the same with our own kids. <laughs> so, Joel, sort of in summary, um, what sort of tips have you got for anyone else sort of seeking to escape the sort of corporate world? They want to be doing something a bit more worthwhile. I think that the first thing is that, that um, uh, it, you know, being in the corporate world is not a bad thing. And um, while I really uh, felt that it was time to leave, it, it, not everybody feels that way. And so those people that feel that actually you know, it's time to get out and they want to do something else. The, the advice that, that uh, Richard, my friend, gave me uh, was that you, you really can do anything um, if you set your mind to it is, is good advice. And there are ways and means that there's, the training is available. Um, you know, I, I trained for pretty much for free, really. Um, which is amazing. And um, you can make it work. There will be some sacrifice involved, inevitably. Uh, and some of it, I, I guess, will be financial. Um, and but that you know, it is it is doable. And uh, if you persevere with it and you've got the right kind of people around you um, supporting you through it, uh, it can be extremely beneficial. Uh, for everybody, I think we we enjoy our life as a family far more now that um, that we all holiday at the same time together, uh, which is one of the big benefits uh, uh, of being a, a school teacher. Um, but uh, I think if I'd done something different, there would be other benefits too, uh, as well. So um, 
you've got to really go for it um, and, and persevere at it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I believe that, that God is faithful. And um, if you're if you're doing it for uh, for the good of other people uh, and potentially even the good of, uh, of one's own family, then, then that, that's got to be good. Charles, fantastic. Thank you. And can I just say that on behalf of all parents to you and to, in fact, all teachers, um, a huge thank you for using your gifts, your time, your talents to make a difference in the lives of young people. Thanks, Kizzy. It'd be nice to speak to you. Uh, all the very best to those out there listening to this. Um, I can thoroughly recommend primary uh, primary school teaching. So uh, if that's uh, if, if it's for you, uh, then, you know, have a good, strong look at it and uh, uh, maybe go and um, uh, perhaps volunteer in a, in a primary school for a couple of weeks and see where, whether it, it's something you want to do, too. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Giles. Goodbye. Thanks, Kizzy. Bye. Bye. So some great top tips there from Giles. But now it's time to introduce my second guest. So for those of you that are listening who have maybe been made redundant recently or who perhaps face the possibility of redundancy, I really hope that you'll find my next guest inspiring and reassuring. Having worked in accounts departments for a number of small companies during the early part of her career, my guest Claire Packham set up her own bookkeeping practice in 1994. Initially, she started working part-time, being self-employed um, in bookkeeping, and she has gradually developed this and grown her own business over the last 20 years. Claire now owns a successful practice specialising in bookkeeping and accounts department outsourcing. Her company works with several hundreds of small businesses in and around London and the South East, who are serviced by her well-trained and professional team of staff at Team 4 Solutions. Away from work, she is a keen keep-fit enthusiast, aiming to complete her first triathlon next year. She also enjoys travelling and taking regular ski trips. So Claire, welcome to my show and a very happy new year to you. Hello, Kizzy, and a, a very happy new year to you too. Oh, thank you, Claire. Well, first of all, of course, after all those mince pies and turkeys, I have to ask you, how is your triathlon training coming along? Well, yes, it's, it's coming along. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with the running and the, and the cycling, but I'm having to learn to swim a bit because I'm not a strong swimmer. So I'm having to get some lessons in, in how to do front crawl. So, um, yeah, we're getting there. So my, my actual events probably won't be till next uh, early next summer so I've got a bit of time to work on it excellent you've got a training plan in place yes oh yes I've got my uh, my trainer helping me out with that I never know what she's going to surprise me with so I just turn <laughs> up and she, she directs me which is marvellous <laughs> <laughs> excellent well I look forward to hearing how it goes and I wish you all the best for that so um Claire look you're currently um, a very successful business owner um, but let me take you back uh, with our listeners to the mid-90s could you outline for us what it was that you were doing for work back then and what was happening for you? That was when I was in my 20s. Um, so I, I had been working for a number of small companies and actually been made redundant from all of them for one reason or another. So I started my career working as a customer services, you know, bod. Um, worked there for seven or eight years, worked my way up to, to working in the accounts department directly under the uh, management accountant there. Um, sadly, the, the lovely little company got bought out by a larger company. So immediately the accounts department was axed. 
Um, now that was in my early 20s. So that was absolutely, it was quite a frightening thing to happen. Um, obviously for a young person, not knowing what's, what, what's going to happen next, because literally you're, you're made redundant and the next day you don't have a job to go to. So quite a frightening prospect. Um, I then actually signed myself up with an employment agent and literally walked out of that job and signed myself up with an employment agency. Um, they found me a temporary job straight away, which I, I went for. I just took it. It was working in accounts again because I got that little bit of experience behind me. Um, that client then or that job took me on full time permanence, which was great. So again, similar thing happened. The business got purchased by another big company, immediately made the accounts department redundant. So again, same thing happened. Um, um, obviously, I, I felt a bit stronger about it this time because I knew it wasn't the end of the world. Um, and actually, my father had been setting up his own business at that time, um, needed some admin and, and accounts help. So I went to work for him. Um, but again, <laughs> he uh, he got bought out by another business. Immediately, they sacked, sacked the accounts department. So I was out of work yet again. Um, and at that time, um, I had a young child um, and my marriage was breaking up. So that was a scary time. Um, just because I needed needed an income, needed a good income actually to support myself and my son. Um, so I actually made the decision at that point to um, become self-employed and start start working for um, smaller companies, which really allowed me to fit my work. I mean, around my um, looking after my son. Sure. So, so in terms of what made it the right to consider, I mean, you know, listening to it, some people could sort of say, well, hang on a minute, you know, surely you'd, you've got your, your, your son, you, you know, there, there was lots of reasons to, to maybe not be in self-employment. Um, so, so, so for you, what was really the thing that made it right for you at that time? Well, I think I ha it's something I had in mind. I'd had in mind for some time, I guess. Um, I, you know, several people have suggested it to me, perhaps that you could do that. And, and it had been in my mind. But the fact that I was actually made redundant kind of it pulled the rug under my feet and it actually made me have to make a decision about something. Um, so I think at that point, I, 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 mean, I, I can't remember particularly thinking, oh, this is the right thing to do. It was more, much more, um, I, think, I think it was just thrown at me. But I, I suppose there must have been some conscious decisions made at that point that it was the right thing to do. I'd been made redundant. I had nothing else to lose. I didn't have to invest just my time I was selling. Um, and, yeah, it just seemed the right thing. And, and a couple of people had come to me already and said, yes, um, they would use my services if I did set up on my own. So that kind of it all came together at the right time. So, it, it, you know, had it failed, then I would have gone out and got another job. Thinking about the self-employment um, way back then, can you sort of remember what some of the emotions uh, were that, that sort of it, it evoked in you? Was it, was it excitement or fear or anxiety? What, you know, what was going on in, in, in your head around that time? A bit of everything, really, yes. I mean, how on earth? I have no idea how to be self-employed. You know, um, I have a skill, but how do I use that skill to build a business or, or be self-employed and earn my own way doing it rather than directly working for another company? Um, fear that I wouldn't be able to earn money, fear that I wasn't good enough. I mean, that's a huge confidence thing, um, massively. You know, had I got enough experience, what were people going to expect me to do? Would I be able to earn money? How would I get clients? How on earth would I going to find enough work? Um, so there's all fear and anxiety based around that, but also a great deal of excitement about it. Um, I, I, I am, I think I, maybe I just have an entrepreneurial mind, maybe, but I was really excited about the prospect of working for myself and making my own decisions 
um, rightly or wrongly, but at least they were my decisions to make. Um, and I could, I could be the master of my own destiny, if you like, which to me was really important at that time. Um, you know, and I needed, to, I needed to try. You, you mentioned about self-confidence sort of being, um, being a biggie. And um, yeah. I know just from, from my own sort of um, work uh, coaching that you know, self-confidence is, um, you know, a, 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 a massive a barrier for, for some people to sort of overcome and I'm I'm just wondering what what you did to help you overcome some of that um, self-confidence issue around you know am I going to be good enough am I going to be able to to get clients well yes I mean that that is a biggie because that is I think that's probably the the, the thing that puts most people off I would think is you know confidence um and I, I was I guess maybe I was a bit gung-ho about it I just thought well if I don't try I'll never know so I literally put a little a little um, advertisement in the local sort of classified paper. A couple of people rang me, you know, wanting my services. So I just absolutely terrified those, those first few sort of client interviews, if you like, just went out. I just had to grit my teeth and get on with it, really. And actually, once you've done those things a couple of times, you realise that you're talking to normal people. They're not trying to judge you or anything. And actually, you know, they are normal people. They might be business people, but they've all got small businesses. They're trying to make their own way in life. And actually, really, having gone to those interviews was just about talking about yourself and finding out about them it was just a natural conversation so it was hard to sell my business and my products or whatever it was I was trying to sell them it was just going and meeting them having a chat did we get on yes we got on that's fine okay we'll use my services and and just going with it and it, you have to take that leap of faith sometimes you know you just have to jump it because you there's there's no way of building your confidence other than trying to do it and finding that actually it does work and you have successes obviously you have failures as well but learning from those um, I think at the outset, you just have to think to yourself, well, um, if I don't do this, if I don't just grit my teeth and jump in and try this, I'll never know. And I will always regret not trying. So um, that's 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 how it kind of worked for me. Um, and my obviously, the confidence gradually grew as I became more experienced. And you work with a lot of um, businesses um, now, um, yes. some entrepreneurial uh, startups, um, you know, sort of as you were way back then. In terms Absolutely, of things yeah. that are available now, um, what sort of things are you aware of that they found helpful? Well, let's let's think. Now, I, in more recent years, have, have um, used the services of a business advisor. Um, now, I meet with him once a month uh, and I find his help, his sort of, um, outside overview of my business if you plan things and look forward and help me through problems I have um, that nowadays I find there are a lot more business coaches out there um, who are available to help small businesses and, and they've probably replaced the government business link type type organizations actually because the, the, there's no government or little government funding to help small businesses these days so lots of my small clients that I work with do have their own business um, coaches, someone that's got an outside perspective, someone that's got some experience, really, really helpful and to help give you that little bit more confidence or just someone that you can cry, someone's shoulder to cry on sometimes, actually. Sure. So sort of having that independent um, uh, person to, to speak to. So looking back for you, Claire, I guess there's a question about, um, you know, was, was it the right decision that you made back, way back then? Yes, absolutely. That's of a doubt. I, yeah, I wouldn't haven't, you know, I don't regret any of the things that have gone on, happened, mistakes, but mostly it's been good stuff along the way. Um, it's massively hard work. I mean, unbelievably hard work, but very, very fulfilling and satisfying. Um, I could honestly say I could never work directly for anybody again. I love being the master of my own 
destiny, my own business, you know, making my own decisions, rightly or wrongly, they are still my decisions and I make them. So, you've, I mean, that, that's fantastic. And I know for sort of, you know, some people, you know, as I said right at the beginning, the, the fear of redundancy is, you know, sort of, you know, can be absolutely terrifying. But I mean, actually, for, for you, your experience of it was that almost each time it happened, you grew in a bit of confidence with that and ultimately it's it's actually been the thing that's enabled you to do with by the sounds of it something that you'd perhaps always subconsciously really wanted to do anyway that's absolutely true i have to say those ex those redundancy experiences although they were unsettling and frightening at the time they actually each time i jumped into something new and better I actually moved forward with each one of those steps I actually moved forward in my career you know it le I, I learned new skills at each of those jobs that I work for and it just helped develop my experiences and my skills so that when I did start out as a self-employed person that I, I, I had more skills and more and helped me help me set up so what would you say to anyone who is listening who is facing redundancy at the moment Claire well just it is scary, yes, but go with it. The first thing you need to do is get out there, get around the employment agencies, get your name out there, tell everybody you're looking for a job and what you're looking for. And frankly, even if you can't find the job of your dreams right there and then, take what's offered to you because you will still learn something from that for sure. Um, and use that to, to springboard you into to doing whatever it is you want to do in your life. Excellent advice. And if, if you were to give your top tips for anyone who is seeking to set up their own business, um, sort of anyone who's listening with that entrepreneurial flair inside of them, what, what would those tips be? Well, I would say one of the first key things is plan it. Plan what you want to do. Know why you're doing it. You know, know in your own mind why it is you want to set up a business or become self-employed. Um, because if you don't, you'll drift. You'll definitely drift. And I certainly did that. I didn't um, didn't make any strong plans. It was just an organic thing for me. It just happened and I went with it. Um, but thinking back, had I've had a, a strong business plan or a focus or targets that I'd set myself, I probably, in fact, I know I would have got my business to where it is now much much quickly and without a lot of the hard work that I did um, so that would be definitely number one plan 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 set your targets know where you're going um, probably number two would be to get uh, an advisor or a coach or someone someone there someone on your side that you can just talk to and talk through problems because actually facing problems on your own is is absolutely awful it can really drag you down you know I've spent many many nights not sleeping, worrying about things, where if I'd have just been able to give someone else that burden and stick it on someone else to help me shoulder it, if you like, um, that would have been hugely helpful for me and saved me a lot of, lot of stress, I think. So, Claire, your third and final tip there. Um, don't think you have to or need to do everything yourself. Outsource to other, other services, outsource to specialists, because I've tried doing my own you know, HR, marketing. Well, I'm not a specialist in those things and it, it, it wasted a lot of my time. Um, you'll find if you spend money on those things to the right people, it will it will really help you with your business. So um, outsource, definitely. 
Brilliant. Well, Claire, it's really, really inspiring to hear how something that on the face of it seemed to be one of the worst situations that somebody could face in their uh, working life and how you've taken that, how you've risen to the challenge, uh, risen to all that's been thrown at you and you've been able to turn that around and learn from it and to be able to build your own very successful uh, practice. Um, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you and your company, Team 4 Solutions, Claire, how could they do that? Well, best thing is to go to our website, www.team4bookkeeping.co.uk. That's where you'll find all the information about us. We're based in East Sussex, but we work with clients throughout um, the southeast and London. Okay, and that's Team 4, the number 4. Claire, it's been uh, lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. All the very, very best, not only for your triathlon, but for the ongoing success of your business. And thank you, and good luck to all your, to all your listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, finally, it's time for us to cross over to New Zealand to chat to my final guest, Joy Williams. Joy grew up in Cornwall in the southwest of England. And having married in 1993, she and her husband Phil decided to emigrate to New Zealand where they now live in Christchurch on the South Island. Joy has continued to work in the administrative field, having worked as a PA in a primary school and a youth development centre. She describes herself as being highly creative and loves all sorts of crafts, cooking and photography. And she says she always has a camera at hand to capture those moments as they happen. Well, having had the privilege of travelling to New Zealand in the past and seeing in New Year's Eve in Riverton in the South Island, I know just how beautiful New Zealand can be. So, uh, Joy, I'm sure that there have been all sorts of photographs that you've been able to take uh, there this evening. Welcome along and a very happy New Year's Eve to you. Thank you, Kizzy, and happy New Year's Eve to you too. Lovely to hear your Thank voice. Thank you. Oh, likewise. Um, so, a happy new year to all of our Antipodean friends. Um, so, you're now really ahead of us in time. So, what is it, nine, ten o'clock in the evening for you guys? Yes, we ha it is. And I am in the beautiful part of the Pelora Sounds. Um, I am, I'm in um, Wi-Fi connection. But when I go back to my the batch where I'm staying, I will be um, remote and I will not have Wi-Fi coverage at all. So um, we are staying in the back of beyond. But I've joined you um, today to um, to be on your radio station with you, Kizzy. And what a delight it is. Oh, well, thank you very much. Joy, are there any um, New Zealand New Year traditions that are happening? Um, a lot of people just go camping. Um, mm -hmm. It's the time. It's summer for us. Um, we are, um, yeah, it's time to get the boat out. It's the time to go fishing, camping. Um, it's time to go tramping, to do those um, walks that you have not do and you dream of doing. So it's it's an outdoor New, New Year's Eve for us. Oh, well, it sounds wonderful. So, so Joy, you, you've mentioned that you're, you're now obviously living in, um, in New Zealand. How did that sort of transition then from 1993, you're newly happily married, through to, I mean, what, what year did you emigrate? We emigrated in 
we emigrated in the year 2000, at the end of the year. They let you have summer in the UK, and then they let you have a summer here in New Zealand. So um, that's very nice of um, immigration for you. So in 1993, we were married. 1994, Bryn arrived. And, you know, we'd always had a big interest in New Zealand, um, and it never really went away. Um, so the dream of emigrating New Zealand was always very real, but there's a lot of things to consider and um, there's a lot of chewing of the fat and before you make a big decision like this. Um, so certainly in 1994, we were still thinking things through. 1998, we had our second boy and we're still chewing the fat. So it's obviously not a decision you take lightly. So what were some of the things that you needed to consider? Um, and I guess for anyone else who's thinking about um, emigrating to New Zealand or elsewhere, what, what are some of those things? You said it's something that you can't, um, you know, shouldn't consider lightly. So what sort of things would you recommend people to be thinking, uh, thinking through and considering? Well, I think on hindsight, there's lots of things we should have considered that perhaps we didn't. And um, I think, you know, gosh, if I had the likes of you and, and um, being able to spend time away, um, chewing the fat, um, spending time with Phil, I think would have been immensely um helpful to Phil and I just to have somebody answer ask some of those things like you need to think of your pension you think need to think of the distance of your, your parents you need to think of your brothers and sisters about missing out on them about missing out on birthdays and anniversaries and all the big events that everyone expects you to be there you know like we were selfishly thinking we just want to go for an adventure and um you know I don't regret going but I think um you know you know, to have someone from the likes of yourself where we can spend time and you could just keep asking some really crucial questions to 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 us uh, to make sure that we have actually considered it. Um, and it's, it is well thought through. Um, we didn't have this, um, but um, I think we would have benefited from it enormously um, to have um, spent time away from family and friends to have an outside an opinion to um yeah just to make sure that we're making um the right decision for everybody because you know two people want to emigrate or a family wants to emigrate but it does have a ripple effect on 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 the family so um you know you you, you can't afford to be selfish when you make these decisions Sure. And, and at the time, Joy, sort of um, family, friends, um, what kind of questions were, were, were they asking uh, of you? Were, were they supportive or, you know, how, how were things with, with other people? Whether it, was, whether, whether it was for good, whether, you know, okay. where were we going to come back? What, how long were we going to go for? <laughs> and are uh, I, you know, we were probably only going to do it for five years. Um, you know, we were going to do it for an adventure. We were going to do it for a challenge. We wanted to experience a different culture. Um, we wanted to embrace the New Zealand lifestyle. And five years was, was good enough. Um, so, yeah, that was a lot of 
pressure that we had, you know, um, was it going to be permanent? And, you know, nowadays it's when when people emigrate, it's not in concrete. You know, that's the wonderful thing about um, technology and travel and um, finances. You know, it, it's not forever. And, um, you know, you know, people can come and visit and Skype and, 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 and whatever, Facebook and everything like that. It does actually um, you're not dropping off the end of the earth. And looking back, how much had you explored the reality of moving to uh, to New Zealand? Good question. Good question. I don't think we knew enough. I we we jumped in the deep end, and um, there's a lot to be said. Uh, a lot more homework than 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 we did. Um, I mean, it it you know it did take us about seven years. So I don't know how much more homework you need than more than seven years. But um, it was an adventure, and I think it's because we knew that we could come back. We 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 went away with very supportive friends behind us, very supportive family. And I think if you don't you know burn any bridges and in it doesn't work out and your adventure you know turns to custard you can come home and people can still love you and I, I remember someone saying um better to have tried something and live with regret than not to have done it and live with regret so we knew we had to go whether it was the right decision or not um purely for that reason so um yeah we, we did dive in the deep end we went with no job no house, <laughs> no family, no network. So it was definitely an adventure. We turned up at the Christchurch airport with a four, a four uh, suitcases with an address of a motel that we'd booked over the internet. And life began there. Um, and um, we didn't have a job. We didn't have friends. We didn't have a network. We knew nothing. So we, we, uh, we started from scratch. And there's been some, you know, bumps along the way. Looking back, for anyone listening who's thinking about emigrating to New Zealand or elsewhere, what advice would you give them to help them best prepare? Um, probably to secure um, a job. <laughs> I think to sort of just be able to um, look at that in a, in, in, in a greater detail um might have helped us settle a wee bit more um of course you're running on a, an adrenaline when you arrive in a new country and you're you know you're part of this adventure so it 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 didn't feel like we were doing the wrong thing but on hindsight uh perhaps a little bit more investment in that would have been helpful um i mean the children were young they were children were two and a half and six so you know we 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 were younger and we could cope with things that were thrown at us. Um, and certainly having the, the likes of your suit, you know, somebody independent that could ask us some questions without um, any strings attached um, would have been very, very useful. Um, and we didn't cash in on that opportunity. And, and, and um, I think, you know, on hindsight, that, that's got to be beneficial to anybody that's traveling on the other side of the world you know it you've you've got to invest you've got to invest in, in lifestyle changes 
So Joy, was this the right decision um, for you and your family to have made? Oh, absolutely. We love travel. My my mum and dad, my dad's no longer with us, but we love new people. We love new food. We love um, new cultures and embracing that. And I don't think our family has held us against us. And we've had family and friends come and visit us. Um, the, The world is a much smaller place. So um, it's, as I said earlier, it's not like you, you, you know, when you emigrate, you never hear from people again. Um, it's been fabulous for the, for the children as well. And you've, you've mentioned a few times through, um, through the interview about the importance of, um, of a job. Um, how, how have you found um, getting work out there? You have to um, hum, be humble. You have to... Um, Be prepared to um, step back in your opportunities that you've had maybe in the UK to move forward. The most important thing you need to do when you arrive in a new country is network. And I think that's also part of, um, you know, maybe looking at your services, you know, in the way that you have to you have to be able to talk to strangers you have to be able to open up you have to be relaxed you have to um, make yourself vulnerable what sort of things were you able to do to build up your network i think you just have to invest in people like whether it's actually you know at the coffee bar it's all swimming or um, your neighbourhood, um, you know, a, a start. You know, the children obviously going to school. You've got to, you've got to talk. You've got to be able to talk to everybody and anything about everyone except what they're going on because somewhere you're going to fit in. Somewhere is going to be the link that you're going to go. Uh, okay, this is where I'm. I, I could get an opening here. If I get an opening here, I'll be able to. Um, you know, make friends. I've got the, the the children that are similar age. This is going to work. You've got to make yourself available to people, and um, you you know, you the worst thing you can do is you can say, oh, back in the UK we do it this way, or back in you know we we do it this way. You cannot take what you have done in the UK here. You have got to um, find out the Kiwi way and love it and embrace it explore explore why they do it that way and 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 what makes them tick and 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 enjoy that that way yeah you know i you just just network and embrace people and find out more about them than you than you have to share about yourself put yourself to you know secondary and find out what the lifestyle's like so, Joy, uh, just in summary, um, what would be your top five tips for anyone who is seeking to emigrate? Uh, check your finances. Check you have got your family support. Don't hear running away from something. Make sure you have some job opportunities or some interviews lined up. And make sure you know your area that you're moving into, a rough idea on the the cost of living and have a, you know, have a backup plan um, that you know that you can always come home. Don't have to stick it out if it doesn't really work for you. Um, and, and most of all, I would just be able to, you know, like if I'd had the likes of you, 
to tap into to spend a couple of nights away from family and friends um whether they they thought it was a good thing or a bad thing you know you do really need to take time out of your busy schedule and um explore you know whether this is the right thing and and i'd like to think that your services because you're like a a rural spin doctor if i'm allowed to say that um somewhere where you can come and um you can ask some really good crucial questions that perhaps we haven't thought about um because you know this it's a big decision to emigrate and um what's a weekend away um making sure it's the right decision well joy it sounds as you absolutely made the right decision it sounds as though you really are truly living your dream and that you are um, making uh, a difference so i know that you've got your family there waiting to uh, see in the new year so i will let you get back to them thank you so much no, for taking thank some you time thank you to uh, be with us yeah all the best for 2016 <laughs> and to you So there we have it, three real-life stories of people who chose to take the plunge and make a difference. Why not get in touch and let me know what you thought? If you've got any questions or comments, then just send them in via the link here at Coach Radio International. And if you sense that 2016 is the year to seek out something new for you and you would like to invest in some coaching time with me, then please head over to my website. You can find it at www.coachradio.com goodlifecoaching.co.uk and get in touch or you can follow me at twitter goodlifekizzy now in 2016 the major renovations at my rural smallholding retreat in somerset will finally finish so i'm going to be pleased to announce soon that my doors are going to be open for either day or residential stays Next month, I'm going to be exploring how we can make a difference in our communities. And I'm going to be talking to several people about what community means to them. And I thought just to finish, as we enter into a new year together, I'm going to say a prayer. Dear Lord, we pray that in this coming year, you'll bless us with understanding friends and family to share it with. A work to do which has real value and without which the world would be poorer. A mind that is unafraid to travel. An understanding heart. A sense of humour. Time for quiet, silent meditation. A feeling of the presence of God. The patience to wait for the coming of these things, and the wisdom to recognise them when they come. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful new year, everybody.